I turn to Luke chapter 17, and then you rise as we read together from verse 11 to 19. Luke chapter 17, and the subject that I want to uh, reflect with you this morning is the, the theology of gratitude. The theology of gratitude. John, Luke chapter 17 from verse 11 to 19, please rise for the reading of the word of God. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 17, from verse 11 to 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. King James who render your faith, you know that. Let us pray. Almighty Father, who is in heaven, before you we bow, before you we've come. Thank you for the worship of your holy name. It is a fearful thing to even put your name on our lips. But through your son, you've drawn us to yourself that we that were at one point in our lives strangers to the commonwealth of Israel, you've drawn to yourself by the blood of the eternal covenant. And through the access that your son provided, we stand before you today justified, cleansed, adopted in union with you confident, bold to stand before you, our holy God. But we do so with much reverence, knowing that you are so transcendent and we are mere humans. And to approach you in our sinfulness is but a risk. But as we've come today, under the blood of of Christ Jesus, we pray that you will speak to us and by the agency of your word, purify our heart and encourage your people and challenge us to be all that you've made us to be in your son before the foundation of the world. God, my lips from 
error, from guile, from heresy, that I may speak truth in righteousness. I pray that by the end of our meeting today, we will leave knowing that you spoke to us. Let no one see me. Let them hear you speak to all of us today in this house, and that will suffice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Return back to your seat. The theology of gratitude. Recently, I think I shared with some of you in some of our group, uh, I think on the 4th of January, I, I, I went to Lagos to meet with a brother. This brother is a, is a pastor of a different church. He has done something to me. Even though if I share with you what he has done for me, many of you may not consider it very serious. It's something I can just pick up a, a phone and say, hi, thank you for what you've been doing for me, and that will suffice. But I, I endure 13 hours of road trip and a flight back uh, just to meet up with him. So we're seated in his office and say, Pastor Butu, why are you here? And I asked him to guess. So he guessed here, he guessed there. I said, he said, I need a cup of tea. So he gave me a cup of tea. And I said, I came all the way to, to tell you thank you. He said, okay. Any other? Yeah. Because sometimes when you are thanking people, people know this thank you, there's something uh, behind it. I mean, all of us, you are, you are African. When somebody say thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the other day. If you are not careful, the person is, is coming for something. Uh, by the way, you know, that's your daughter that you held the other time. It's at home. And, uh, and I said, just to say thank you. He said, ah, you could have just picked, you have called. I said, no, I want to say thank you. I want to look into your eyes and to communicate to you how valuable you are to me and how effective and effectual the hand of fellowship that you did extends to me were. And he broke down. And as we continue in our meeting, and he said, this is just like the first time in my entire life as a pastor that someone will come who thank me in this way. There is a quote uh, by this, uh, uh, from, from uh, desired, uh, Desiring God uh, website. Desire, des Desiring God website is a website of, of uh, John Piper uh, of Bethlehem Assembly. But this, uh, the article there was written by Anne Voskamp, and she says something about gratitude. I'm quoting Anne. And she said, gratitude is a virtue, or is a virtue, is a virtue most worthy of our cultivation. Indeed, in all of the Christian life, gratitude is to be planted, watered, dressed, and harvested. 
gratitude gets at the very essence of what it means to be created, finite, fallen, redeemed, and sustained by the God of all grace. She continues, ingratitude was at the heart of the fall. The fall, she was referring to the fall in Genesis chapter 3. The ingratitude was at the heart of the fall. And the ingratitude continued to be the heart of what falling, or what is falling about us up to this day, unquote. The scripture that is before us is set in the context of Jesus' own personal ministry. At this point, he, uh, he was heading towards uh, Jerusalem to face his passion, his death, and eventual resurrection. And the Bible tells us that, that, there, were, that uh, there were various teachings that he, he, he was giving along the way. But this section, the Bible uh, tells us that uh, he was on his way to Jerusalem and he came between Galilee and Samaria. I don't have time to give you the proper geography, the kind of a pictorial geography of Galilee, Samaria, and the geography of the Holy Land. If you have a Bible, at the back of your Bible, there are maps there. Do yourself a favor. And then he came to a particular village. This village was not named. And then this event before us today, this historical event before us today ensued. I use the word historical to stress the fact that what is before us here is not a made-up story. It's not, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not a story that was fabricated to teach a particular truth. It's not a parable. It actually happened physically. And the writer of this book, Luke, was much more detailed than the rest of the synoptics because he went for a research. He was doing a research around the work of Christ here on earth. And this, is, this was part of what he came on. And there are three things I want to pull out from this story before us this morning. But the major idea I want to impress upon your heart for this, you know, from the beginning of this month, we've been giving you reflections just to set your heart aright for the year that, is, uh, has, that we have come into. I want to reflect with you just three things from this passage, but I really want to go away with the idea of gratitude. We live in the world that is full of ungrateful men and women. And gratitude is becoming a fading virtue, a fading value system among us today. We are again coming back to the period of autonomy, of self or human autonomy and individualism. And gratitude is fading fast from among us and particularly among God's people. And I want us to get back, uh, get our heart right. Uh, this year, we will be people of, of God full of gratitude. We will be grateful on, the, on every day of our lives. People that have no cause to murmur and to complain uh, against God. Three things. 
The first thing I want us to consider with me from this passage is that, that Jesus confronts a, a problem, a, a problems confronted by, by Jesus. Look at verse 11 to 13. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, and then they lifted up, up their voice, and then they were shouting. So Jesus was coming to this village, and the first thing he would meet was not a crowd of, uh, of, of political, of, um, of merrymakers. How do we call them? Is it psychophants? This would have to come and play singers, yes. The first group of men, of people that he met, were a group of lepers. Let me just sample your opinion. How many of you have seen a leper before? Raise your hand. If you have seen a leper with your two eyes. Okay. Oh, very few of them. Okay. I mean, there are a lot of leps. Is it lepsidium? How do you call their colony? Around, around the country. So, yeah, I've, I've seen couples. Leprosy is a disease of the skin. Yeah? I think it's a, a kind of a skin disease. And I think it's a virus. Hmm? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. I don't want to get to the area of science. I don't know. But it's a disease. Now, under the Old Testament, there is something about leprosy and sin. So if you are a leper in the Old Testament, it is seen as God is judging you. You must have done something to warrant this. And because it's highly contagious, if you are a leper, you are isolated immediately. And I think the closer we've come to leprosy now is COVID-19. But leprosy is highly contagious. And I think it is Ebola that is close to the, 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 the speed at which you can con contact a lepros leprosy from a leper. So what was done from antiquity is that you are isolated to the end of your life. And if you see a leper, usually they will lose their fingers and their, everything will be falling off their body until they die. Everything just falling off. Even sometimes you see their eye socket. You can't even look at them. Uh, we thank God for the missionaries that came to Nigeria that began to cure leprosy. And, I, and, I, and I, let me just, I'm just digressing. The major factor that brought a lot of people to faith in, in years back is because of this. The, the gods of these white men are so powerful that they could cure leprosy. And people begin to ditch the African gods that were helpless against uh, leprosy for the gods of the white men that could handle leprosy. That just by the way. So Jesus met this group of 10 people uh, that were lepers. And they were crying to him for mercy. And this group of people were a kind of, they were, they were Jewish people, but as we see in verse 16, there was a Samaritan in the mix. And there are three things we can see from this group of people. Is that their leprosy ostracized them from the society. He placed them outside the city. They were cursed as it, as it were. You remember when Miriam, the sister of Moses, had this issue on her, she was isolated and kept outside the camp. 
You remember the King Uzziah? How many of you remember Uzziah? When, when, when King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. You remember this King Uzziah in Isaiah chapter 6? That was a sickness that actually happened. He, was, he, he, went, he went to the temple to, to usurp the power of the priests and leprosy broke on him immediately. And then he was isolated for the rest of his life before the uh, rest of his life. So the, the, the sickness put them out of the society. They were no longer with their people. No matter how loving you were, if you had leprosy, you are definitely on your way out of the village. So there will be a hurt for you. I've seen some of those things. I'm not too young. I, I remember in the, you'll be out of the village completely, isolated. And then they'll bring your food to you and the person bringing your food will not see you. So they'll shout your name. They'll keep your plate for you. They'll keep your food for you. You come and pick up your food. And then you come back later and drop the food back. Both the leper and all the equipment that attached to him are all leprous. Sickness drove them out of the community. Number two, sickness also removed their dignity. Look at the way they were crying out for mercy. Now, usually men don't cry. Huh? Yes, men don't cry. Do they? If a man is crying, what do, what do, what do you normally tell him in Nigeria? Come give me a man. Why are you crying like a woman? <laughs> Tears is for women. Boldness is for men. We don't cry. But that's just by the way. It removes their dignity. And, and there's no shame in sickness. Eh? No shame in sickness. Have you been to a national hospital before? And then they are hanging you. There's no dignity. You can't even ask the doctor, come on, your what's your religion? Eh? What's your religion? And when they say, draw your trousers down for injection, whether you are the governor or you are the... What, what are you? In fact, the, the worst is even childbirth. See this beautiful girl, a princess of uh, Umudioka autonomous community, she's pregnant. And the doctor is going to handle the delivery. Now, your princess is, is useless in the labor room because when you are affected with sickness, it removes your dignity as a person. I have, uh, what was killing my dad when he was sick the other time was that my dad used to be an independent person. He, one day he told me, he said, see, you guys, he said, my children, the way you guys are talking, you know me. I don't beg. I'm all, you see, I'm a man. And I pray to my God the day I will die. I will die on my bed here. So that nobody will be carrying me to... And, and, and I'm sure old men fear. They don't want to be carried up and down. Say, from my collar to Ibarra. No, no, no. So I will die here. But somehow he got sick. So that we need to collect his urine and collect his feces. That was the hardest thing for him. Can you imagine this retired pastor? Eh? Honorable man now lying down on the bed. They are choking him injection left, right, and center. And then we are collecting his waste. This leprosy robbed these people of their dignity. And all they could say is shout, Master, have mercy on us. In the third place, this sickness 
bound these people together. You see, if you look, look at the history of, the, of Israel, the Jews and the Samaritans have nothing in common. On a good day, if a Jewish man is coming this way and a Samaritan is coming the other way, what happened? Just divert. Because if you meet, if, if as a Jew, you meet a Samaritan face to face, you become unclean just by passing. And you have to go and pay money to do ritual cleansing and all that stuff. But now, both the Samaritans and the Jews are leprous. And they share the same colony. Sickness, disease. When it comes upon you, it lumps you together with strange bedfellows, isn't it? Like when you go to hospital now, you're on admission. You don't really choose where you want to. <laughs> They'll give you any, any available space of bed, except for those who have money for private, uh, whatever. It lumps them together. It does not matter anymore. <clears throat> they are Jewishness. And then this man's Samaritanness no longer matters. Sickness has lumped them together. And that is the scenario that Christ met. He was greeted by this group of sick fellows. Not singers, but sick fellows. In the second place, we saw the passion of Christ being displayed. So they came and they shouted and asked for mercy. And verse uh, 14, when he saw them, he said to them, they were at a considerable distance from him. As they were shouting his name and calling for mercy, he looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priest. That's what he said. He didn't say, guys, what are your names? Where did you come from? Nothing like that. It is, what sin have you committed? How long has this been on you? Or in our days, we hear it like, what have you done to him? What have you done? Speak now. What have you done to him? But he didn't say anything. Jesus just looked upon them. Just by looking on them alone, they were healed. He has not said anything. He said, just go and show yourself to the priest. And immediately, his compassionate heart and his power came on them. And as they were going, they were healed. All they need now is the priest to certify that they can rejoin society. And this is Jesus, our Lord. And this is a way of also knowing that he's the Messiah. It is only God that can look upon lepers just by looking on them. He has not prayed any prayer. He has not even shaken anything. No oil, no handkerchief. Just by looking on them, they were made whole. It shows that Jesus is much more than a prophet. He's much more than master. He's much more than a rabbi. He is God. 100% God, 100% man. Fully God, fully man. Two natures, one person. Without confusion. And his compassion came upon them. So in the first place, we saw problems that he confronts. We saw his passion uh, healing the sick. In the third place, 
we see that praise adorns the cure. And that we look uh, from verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned back praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, we're not, we're not cleansed. And then he continued down to verse 19. Praise adorns this miracle. We learn a few things from here. In the first place, we learned that this man that came back to give thanks was a Samaritan. Why do you think that was important in Luke's account? It is important because ordinarily, those who, should, those who ought to have come back were the Jews, who understand the laws, who understand the books, who were of the covenant. This Samaritan, this Samaritan, this, this, this Boko Haram of a person came back. And I can deduct from the actions of the Jews that as far as they were concerned, Jesus is, okay, they are, I mean, how dare not come back to give thanks? How easy is it to heal a leper? How easy do you think it is that leprosy disappear in seconds? And then you just walk away. But this man came back, shouting, falling down, rolling on the floor, giving thanks. See, often time, those who ought to know better perform poorly in these matters. You know, as, as, a, pastor, as a pastor kid, I can tell you that most times, when Muslims become Christian, they act much, 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 much better than those who grew up in church houses. I don't know if you understand with me. When unbelievers come into faith, compare unbelie unbelievers that came to faith and pastor's children. You know, when I, you know pastor's children, <clears throat> sorry, I, I'm not on your case today. I'm trying to pastor, okay, so I'm not trying to run you down. As a pastor child, before I grew up, I started eating Holy, I was eating Holy Communion because I'll be waiting for the Holy Communion to finish. When, they, when, they, when my dad is praying the Holy Communion, I'm hanging around. All the leftover bread, that me the eat All the leftover uh, wine, it is me. We are used to the elements. We are used to the elements. That's why most pastor children, if you ask them, where did you become saved, actually? They can't even remember anything. <laughs> because they They've always been in church. So salvation by grace through faith alone make no real, it's not a big deal. I mean, they have been in church, however. Before I became saved, <laughs> I was already holding positions in the church. They took Christ for granted and they also took their miracle for granted and they went away. This Samaritan came back. This unbeliever came back and give God thanks. And Jesus, in second episode, Jesus' disappointment. He said, where, 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 where are the nine? There were ten. I think, I'm sure Jesus took note of them. There were ten. Even though they were a far distance from him, he was able to count ten of them. So where are the nine? Meaning he was expecting. The, but even if he was not expecting them to come back, that should be the natural thing. That should be the rational thing to do. 
just, just got healed. Not many of us have received healing before. I'm talking in a, in a very radical way. Like maybe you're, you have no fingers and then your fingers grow out and then you have no eyes and then your eyes just pop out. And then, and then you say, oh, that's, that's amazing. And then you just go as if nothing has happened. No, you will scream. Scream. And Christ was disappointed at their ingratitude. He was so disappointed. But for this man that came back, Christ approved his praise and said, Son, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. He got much more than a healing, he got into a relationship with a healer because of gratitude. <clears throat> Why am I saying this thing today? Three things by way of application, then I'll be out of your way. All of us in this church today, if we must be frank to ourselves, at one point in our lives, we're leprous. We're like these 10 people. I hope you understand that sin, the, another metaphor for sin is leprosy in the Bible. We're leprous. And from nowhere, not because we're clever, not because you were educated, not because of the family you came from. Christ found you. Grace found you. And then redeemed you and brought you from the kingdom of darkness and placed you in the kingdom of light of his dear son. So when we demand that what God has done for us is not good enough. Our salvation is not good enough. It shows how ungrateful we are. And it also shows that we don't even know the value of what God has saved us from. At least these lepers knew that we were leprous. One of the challenge with sinners is that when we were leprous, we did not even know that we were leprous. Talkless of needing a savior. You see sinners in good suits. You see sinners in good houses. You see sinners lifting up their hands in the congregation of the saints. They don't know what sins were eating away their fingers and eating away their flesh. They were still unconcerned about their state. At least these lepers cried to God and he came to their rescue. We, we, we were not crying to God when he came to our rescue. He rescued us by himself. So when we stand in the church lifting up holy hands and shouting praise God, it is because grace found us and grace is unmerited favor from God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I hope you understand that this story is about us. Because when Christ came from glory, what confronted him was our sins. There was nothing good for him to even take a look at when he came here. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. When the Messiah came here, the first time he opened his human eye in Bethlehem, Judea, all he could see around him was sin. 
and sin and more of sin from the temple to the streets of Jerusalem, sin all over the place. And out of his own sheer magnanimity, he reached out to us, delivered us, dragged us from the jaw of sin and death, and justified us freely by his blood. I hope you remember that you were once a leper. Number two, gratitude make us look like Christ. One of the ways that we, we resemble Jesus is the disposition and act of gratitude of Christians. Jesus was always full of thanksgiving. You remember several places, Matthew 26, 1 Corinthians 11, Mark 14, Luke 22. He always gives thanks. When he lifts when he, when he, when he lift up the bread, he gives thanks. In fact, when the Catholic, the Catholic referred to communion as um, Eucharist. And the Eucharist from the Greek word Eucharist, meaning thanksgiving. Jesus was always full of thanks. At the tomb of Lazarus in John chapter 11, he gave thanks to his father. Father, I thank you. Several times in the New Testament, he was always full of thanks, even though he was God incarnate. Even though to call himself God was not a robbery, he was always full of thanks for what God did fit to do through him as his only begotten son. Thanksgiving shows that we've already met him and we are being conformed to the image of Christ. Number three, ingratitude make us look like infidel. In fact, if, there's, if there is any synonym to infidel, the second name, if a man is an infidel, an unbeliever, the second name is ingrate. And I'm not just making it up. Turn to Romans chapter, Romans chapter 1. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Verse 21. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For, verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And you can read continuing. The sin in the Garden of Eden 
they underpin it, the ground, or the, 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 the idea, or, or, or the prompting of the sin in Eden was ingratitude. God said, eat all of this fruit, but this one thou shalt not touch. Say, why? Why? And then they reach out to it, and they touch it. How dare people look at everything around them and then they attribute it to an idol? So when we are ungrateful, even as Christians, it makes us look like infidels and it's destructive. Let me give you a quick example as I close today. You know, the children of Israel, the children of Israel left Egypt with much wealth and with great miracles accompanying. What was their problem? Ingratitude. They will eat manna. They say, I beg. Now only manna will go to the chop. We want meat. God give them meat. They say, mm. is it because there was no grave in, uh, in Egypt? The Red Sea parted into two and they walked through on foot. They say, ah, not today. I mean, how easy, how easy it is for, for, for the body of water to divide itself into two. They struck the rock Water came out of the rock. They say, not today. I mean, they were full of complaint and murmuring. And the Bible says, I think First Corinthians chapter 10, it said they all perished in the wilderness. They all died in the wilderness because they were not giving thanks to God. Friends, as Christians, as we come to this, there are many reasons why we should complain. There are a lot of reasons to complain about Nepal, about uh, how many things to complain about? INEC. How many things? How many things to complain about in this country? Hessmen, bandits. What again? Inflation, fuel increase, subsidy. I mean, all this. Are there in I think all this is going to. I should have our own dictionary now. Eh? We have the subsidy. Uh, because what subsidy is in the dictionary is not the same thing as what it is here on the, on the, on the, on the streets. Subsidy, hairsmen, complain. Church, false prophet, collecting people's wives, collecting people's house. And then sometimes, you know, when, I, when I move around, people say, no. Me, I'm not go to church again, no. I'm not go to church again. Church na a scam. How many of you have heard that before? Oh, church Nasca. Well, <laughs> I want you guys to be grateful to God. And it is because of the theology that came through in the 80s called Word of Faith Theology or what they call Prosperity Gospel. What Prosperity Gospel brought to us was this. That's our church. Are you with me? Some of you are already trying to Dream, huh? Okay. So that's that, uh, that your salvation is a package. One of the proponents of these thoughts locally, he's repenting now, was Pastor Abel Damina. He's in New York. I sat under his teaching and he now said, he now used Greek. See, the Greek, if you know Abel very well, he know how to use Greek. He said, the Greek word for salvation is soteria. And soteria is a, is a compound word. 
that comprise of salvation, healing, deliverance, wholeness, prosperity, and it's like it's like a blank check, eh? And then you can fill it anything that you want inside. And then you will jump to uh, John, uh, John, John, Second uh, John, is your third John? Yeah. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper, even as your soul prospereth. So your salvation in Christ is on, is on one level. But other things, prosperity, wellness, health, are all part of the package. So the question on the heart of Christians is that, okay, now I have been saved. I have left my idols. Why am I still sick? Why am I still not rich? And my friends who are unbelievers are getting money and they are riding Ferrari. And then they came through again and said, okay, yeah, maybe because your faith is not strong enough. And then the word of faith came into it and began to teach us how to do what they call positive confession. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. So you can, be, you can speak your reality into being. So you now begin to say, I cannot be rich. I, uh, I cannot be poor. I cannot be... I, I, I cannot. So when you are sick, you say, uh, bro, I, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, eh? I'm strong. If you are, when you are broke, what do you say? I'm rich. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. It's all mumbo-jumbo theology. And then that one we're not working. And then the theology of seed faith came into the block. When you were told, or we were all told, that when the pastor proclaim a blessing on you, when the prophet prophesy a blessing on you, he carries a potential to bless you. That, so my preaching is a potential force. Church, are you, are you with me? I, I'm, I'm close. That my preaching is a potential force, but not an actual force. So, how do you get blessed from all that I've been saying today? You have to now, where's the envelope? This is it. So, you are going to sow into the flow of the anointing. So, if you want to connect with what God is doing right now, you take a seed. It's called seed faith. All the billions in most of the churches came into being by seed faith. And then seed faith were not working well. And then we invented first fruits. So all your January salary should come to the pastor and then you will see the hand of God. You secure the 11 months by killing the first month. And then that one was not really working and then handkerchief came into to the floor, buy a mantle, and then, and then oil came, and it it, it, it has not it, it, it's on it's on ending it's on ending, it's on ending. I've been to a lady's house. They go to a particular church around Apollo Road. They have in their house there's padlock of different kinds because you have to if you because what they are also saying is that as as those things began to fail. They now change it to what they call another theology that came into being was the uh, generational uh, curses. So, the, oh yeah, the word of God is true. You are supposed to prosper, but what is limiting you is in your father's house. 
So the reason why you are poor is because your grandfather, then, then your great-grandfather, your, they were pagans, they were idol worshippers. So they, there is a voice from your father's house that is crying against your prosperity. Let's go to your village for family deliverance. You buy a padlock, you lock your enemy inside and throw the key into uh, uh, that river. And then everything will come back fine. And as that one was not really, 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 really working, they kept inventing, they kept shifting the goalpost at every, every year, you are shifting the goalpost. In those days, it would be like maybe one or two days of prayer and fasting. Now, 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 all the prophetic utterances in December 31st will not work. If you don't do the 21 day uh, 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 fast, some people will do 70 days uh, fasting. So you can connect, you can, you can, you can, you can, they have words. You want to bring from heaven to the earth what is hanging, your blessing is hanging, is hanging, is hanging. Yesterday, as we were driving home for, to, to, I think the, Dr. Shane was in the car with his wife, and a, we just turned to a radio, and the pastor was preaching. I was talking about, he said, this year, he said, in this prayer and fasting, we are dismantling all the infrastructures of Satan. You know, what I've just said, I look so bamboozling. We are going to dismantle all the infrastructure of Satan. And then he says some funny, funny things. And I say, Exodus, he now mentioned scripture because they'll bring scripture to, to support it. So when Israel were in Egypt, they were prospering, but that was their destiny to prosper in Egypt. But Pharaoh was afraid of them. And Pharaoh went to 10 cities and employed about 10 demons from 10. I said, this one, this Bible. I don't know if you have seen that in the Bible before that. Pharaoh went to 10, 10 cities to employ 10 satanic forces to fight against Israel. How many of you have seen that in the Bible? It is in the Bible. You are not seeing. You are not seeing. And if you dare challenge him, he will tell you, you see, what is here is Logos. What I'm telling you is Rema. You understand? And then you are going around in cycle, in cycle. I have been to hospital to pray for sick people. And people die. And then they say, oh God, see my third card. I've seen it. He said, oh, oh God, I'm a widow. See my third card. I'm not owing you a dime. Why should my son die? It means if you pay your tithes, God owes you now. God must respond to you when you call him. That has taken away from the church real gratitude. So when you come to church on a Sunday morning, they say today is Thanksgiving service. It's not just Thanksgiving to praise God for the salvation he has given to us. Thanksgiving now are seven weapons to break through. So the, the, the weapon of prayer, the weapon of giving, the weapon of praise and thanksgiving. So you are going to dance on top of your enemy, and you are going to dance your sorrow, and you are going to dance your, your poverty away. Woo! And then there will be some fine gentlemen who play keyboard well and drums. And then we are shaking ourselves. Shake it. Shake off that beast into the fire. And then, and then, and then. And that has taken away real gratitude that a Christian ought to walk into a church like this in the morning and say, when I survey thy wondrous cross, on whose the king of glory dies. And then tears will start gushing out of your eyes. 
My rich, he said, my, my richest gain, I count but loss. And I pour contempt on all my bread. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Safe in the death of Christ, my Lord. And all these very things that charm me most, I crucify them. I'm inviting you again, Christian, to be, to be full of gratitude to God this year for what he has done for you in Christ Jesus. That even if you are naked, even if you are sick in your body, you ought to give God thanks. Let me talk to us before I close today again, family people. Husband and wife, in gratitude, at the roots of marriage collapse is ungratefulness, isn't it? I have heard some men, they are not in this church. They say, my wife, even if I carry my salary, all my salary, and give. Eh? You know, go do. And actually, from history, married men look straight, don't look at your spouses now. From history, we were told, I don't know whether it's true or false, that even if you carry everything, give your wife, you know, go do. Hmm? Is that true or false? Just, just keep quiet, okay? I don't want trouble after service. <laughs> we are not thankful for the small things of life, from the liturgy of life. Okay, your husband is providing small things. You see, you know, see your mate? You know, see your mate? Your husband is working in civil service, le grade level, I don't know their levels. Grade level 12, step, step 4, I don't know, sorry. I've <laughs> the civil service. And then the woman is, is in crying. Why are you crying? My mates are in Canada. Is that why you are crying? You have food to eat. There is a roof over your head. You are not sick. But the thought of Canada is making you so sad that when you come to church and say, count your blessings, say, which never counts? Joss is in Canada. Abigail is in the U.S. When are we leaving this God-forsaken country? And then the husband is dancing. He says, Hi, my husband, no, you don't get, you don't get sense at all. What, 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 is, what is joyful about this, about being in this country? And then you reach home, even the rice and beans that you ought to eat and rejoice your family. Mm -mm, mm -mm, Canada. And then you out of God says, okay, Canada, then go to Canada. Now you are in Canada. You are the one calling us from Canada now that huh, this place is cold though. That it's in cold. You see, this place, <laughs> you have to do three jobs. You have to do three jobs. You have been away for five years now. You've not sent us money, oh. Because you have to do three jobs. I have, I have, I have. There was a day we, we took a dead body of an evil guy at Bond Oak. 30,000 pounds sterling underneath his bed. But he died of starvation. Because he must gather that money and come back to this country and show people and show Samson that he too. And then Samson is going to be miserable. And Samson says, eh? Now Eliezer yesterday, now he built that hotel. And then he now journeyed to Mali. Then he climbed to Libya. And then to cross the sea. And then to go to Italy. And then go to France. And hide underneath stroke to go to the English Channel. And then jump into the forests and become a slave to a white man and be picking strawberries 
Because you want to prove your point. Because you are not grateful. Well, uh, as I'm self-talking now, people say, I say this pastor, say if they give my US visa now, you know, go go. <laughs> what is the answer? Yes or no? Well, let me just let me just tell you. I was giving three pastor to pastor in the city. I have just I have opportunity came. One in California and three in the UK. And I made a deep reflection. What is the essence of life? And why am I called into ministry? In fact, even when we plant church, sorry, I'm taking your time because there's no evening service. Sometimes we plant church in the city. Hmm? Because of this. Why are you not planting church in Saminaka? In Falgore? Because if, if you plant church in Saminaka, you go die of hunger. We, 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 we don't trust God and therefore we are not grateful enough. Children, not grateful to their parents. Some of you are, yeah, your dad pays school fees. You are still talking about your dad in school that he didn't give you enough pocket money. Some of you are angry that your dad has not bought you a smartphone. All your mates are carrying smartphone. It's only you that your dad is stingy. That your mom is stingy. And before you know, you are not doing, you are like, all the boys are doing your whole plus become your friends. And before you know, your head is chopped off for ritual money. We are joyful people. We ought to be grateful for everything that God has done. And even when we are sick, we have cause to say thank you. Of you will be eating. I've met a man drinking pure water. He says, See me, I'm drinking pure water now. I used to drink bottled water. And so what? <laughs> say, Me, you are eating food. Tears in your eyes. Say, Me, I'm eating one meat now. I used to eat six meats. So what? There are some people who know God. They will put oil and maggi into rice and eat, and they are happy. I've shared with you before. I was driving through central area before Secretariat, under the bridge, that bridge before the Secretariat. And I saw a man taking his shower in the night. You know, those guys that live under the, the bridge. And the wife was sitting down cooking with some, cooking, making food. And they were laughing with the children. The children were just playing around. I just packed. I said, God, so people that are under the bridge can be happy. And then you are in, you are, you are in Lube with your, your own house. And you are angry that you are not in Metama. You are crazy. You should be under the bridge. You should be. Some of you have like a car. And you, you are angry that you have only one car. Hey! You should be trekking. Mm -mm. You, sh you should be amputated to know what it means. So what would the amputees do? If one car is a problem, what would the amputees do? An ungrateful Christian is an infidel. 
Father, I pray that you lead us out today as grateful people for all that you've done for us, the big, the small, even the nothing that you refuse, even the nothing that you do around us, the things you refuse to do around us should cause us to sing praise to your name because you doeth all things well. Amen.